Well, hello and welcome back to the Unbothered Blondes podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Miss Jill Hendry Renfro, and she is going to be bravely opening up and sharing about her journey with infertility and multiple rounds of IVF. So real quick, I want to introduce her and then I'm going to let her kind of take the reins, share her story, and then I have some questions for her and then you as listeners send in some questions that we're going to answer. So Jill was born and raised here in Aggieland. And if you are not from Texas or the Bryan College Station area where I live, Aggieland is the booming surplus of Bryan College Station. Um, She's 32 years old. She's been married for eight years. She was a classroom teacher by trade. And today she teaches adults about health and wellness, specifically lots of women. Um, She believes strongly in health and wellness starting from the inside out. I know this from following her that primarily with the gut health because she has been a diamond status performer in the plexus community for many years consecutively. So let me hand the mic over to Miss Jill. I am so excited to be here. So I absolutely love that I, first off, we live like a minute from each other. Did you know that? I, I, I thought that you lived in Austin's colony, but yeah, I didn't know like exactly We live like a minute there. from each other. So didn't even know Randy and I were like legit names. I think if I screamed <laughs> from my front yard, she could come and help me if I needed it. So I'm super honored to be um, with y'all today and hang out. And my story is something that has been molded for years. I... Never thought that I would talk about it because it is hard. It's hard. If you are a girl that goes through infertility, IVF, IUI, Clomid, time cycles, miscarriage loss, you'd rather just not talk about it. (laughs) And there's many days you'd rather just get in your bedroom and pretend like everything is okay and go on about your life. So I never thought that I would open up and talk about it. But then I started to get lots of questions that were very sensitive, um, and they honestly made me stop in my tracks and think, if I don't talk about this, how can people love me appropriately, and how can people give me grace in a season that I need it because I can't show up the way that I have always showed up, or I'm not performing at the level I was always performing. So um, honestly, about... 18 months of us trying, and when I say trying, I mean like quote unquote trying, you know, like counting the calendar. Today's a green day. The alarm went off. You can't go out of town. We need to have sex. All of those things. It was about 18 months of very timed sex, honestly, Um, and nothing was happening, and it was month after month. I was seeing failed tests, and First couple, you know, you're excited. You think like, oh, maybe we'll be the one hit wonder people. And then that doesn't happen. Right. And then it's like, okay, three months, six months, eight months. And finally about that year mark after you look up, you know, infertility and what that means. Infertility is actively trying for one year and not having a positive pregnancy test. Um, So about that, it probably took me about six months to make the doctor's appointment because I think that there was big fear on hearing what was going to be the report, right? You'd rather just not know. But um, only getting older and us desperately desiring to want to have a family, um, called my local OB OB here in Called Station, and we started going down the testing road. Um, Some of you might be very familiar with using Clomid. It's literally like snake venom. It makes you crazy. Um, Time cycles, um, hormone injections, and that took a big toll on our intimacy 
honestly, um, because with Clomid and with time cycles, you have to do it very timely. And that puts pressure on yourself and even with your spouse and partner. And so we struggled both with that. Um, I felt like I was counting down the calendar days of when can I test? What's the early test? You know, okay, maybe I need to let this one sit out a little bit longer. Maybe the line isn't dark enough yet. And so, I mean, goodness gracious, it really messes with your mindset. Um, And after being with our local OB here in town and moving through those meds, we moved through IUI, um, which is a step before IVF. That is where they actually, you know, take the sperm and move it through and put it right in the place that it needs to be and lets the sperm do its job. Um, After a couple failed IUIs, we found out that the sperm was not doing its job and all of that time was actually a waste. Um, So thankfully, I have such a God-fearing husband who is the leader of our home and just loves me like Jesus. And he is literally hand in hand with me through every doctor's appointment, every phone call and report. Um, We went on to figure out more male testing. And a lot of times people think it's just female. So we had female and male factors going against us, which led us to then being referred to a specialist in Houston, which is about 90 miles away from where we're at. Um, We just felt like that was the best place for us. We had peace to go to Houston. My doctor highly recommended this specialist. Um, So we started that process. And honestly, that process for me had big roadblocks and mind blocks, honestly, heart blocks. I, I struggled with a lot as a Christian. I had honestly the devil on my back. When you're down, he likes to kick you and keep kicking you. And I struggled really bad with like, are we jumping the gun? Is this God's timing? If he wanted us to have a baby, we would have a baby. You know, this isn't natural. Are we going to be missing out on something? And I just kept struggling with this fake scenario, honestly. Like I was making up something that wasn't even happening. Um, and so once we started with this specialist, um, It was Houston Fertility Institute, and number one, they made us feel completely at home. They loved us. They wanted to know who we were, and they felt, we felt that they were very emotionally involved in our journey, Um, and I felt a big Holy Spirit, like, slap in my face um, when we were waiting in the doctor's office uh, one time for an appointment, and I felt like God just told me so boldly, like, who am I to leave you? I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. You are my daughter. Like, how dare you think I would leave you at the doors of a doctor's office? How dare you think I would leave you on a surgery table? Like, how dare you think I wouldn't guide people in your life? I wouldn't guide the doctors, the medical procedures, the reports. And I remember just feeling so convicted. And on the way home, I was telling my husband that. And he had a very similar experience a few days prior to that. And we were both just very much on the same page of God let us here. He's not going to leave us. He loves us and he makes all babies. He is the God of life. Like why would we think that this wasn't a natural, you know, quote unquote baby? That's, that's not the way that it goes. So I had big peace and I knew that God wasn't mad at me because that's not the God that I serve and that he creates all life. So Honestly, the journey of IVF, 
I'm not even going to lie and sugarcoat it. It was the hardest thing I've ever gone through Um, on my body, on my mindset, on my heart. Comparison, that's a huge one. Um, For someone who me, wellness is very important in my life. I'm real big about moving your body and fueling it and treating it right and just living the best life that you can in a well body. It's really hard to share wellness and happiness and health when you do not feel well and you do not feel healthy and you do not feel happy. But through this really hard road, it also brought big beauty. Um, And it's something that I am so appreciative of today that I needed some molding. (laughs) I think all of us need some heart molding. And once we go through a journey, we can see like, all right, God, I needed that slap. And so I really appreciate the slaps that I did get. Um, I learned to have more empathy for people. That was a huge one because if you'd have asked me seven years ago, Jill, how do you have a baby? I'd have been like, girl, drink tequila and have sex. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What you talking about? And my husband and I jokingly would kid around on really hard days. And I'd say, let's just go by Boone's Farm and park in my mom's driveway and see what happens. <laughs> um, but I learned to have a lot more empathy for people. We never know what someone is going through behind closed doors. You know, we see a smiley picture on Instagram and we see a fun story and we see highlights and we see people at Target and at their best self. And we just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So it's allowed me to love people better. I'm, I've always been someone, I think a strength of mine has been to give people grace. I'm very big about, oh girl, you just had a baby. What are you doing here? Let me bring you dinner. Let me help you. Um, but I'm really, really hard on myself. I don't give myself grace. And so this really taught me to feel the feel, you know, be in the moment um, and love myself in a difficult season. And that was really hard. Um, so I honestly have a very bulldozer type of personality and I think Randa and I could probably click on that little (laughs) area. I'm like, girl, it is what it is. Put your big girl panties (laughs) on and keep going. Um, but my heart was very softened through this journey. Um, and during this time, um, so many of my friends, goodness, I felt like I was the lone ranger that was not pregnant. All of my friends were accidentally pregnant or they would get pregnant within one month or, oh, we've, girl, we've been trying for a long time, three months. And I'm like, long time, three months, you know, I've been waiting on a doctor's report for three months. And so I felt surrounded by a lot of blessings that weren't mine. And comparison is hard. It's a thief of joy. It truly, truly is. But as hard as that was, I knew I needed to love my friends for where they were at in that season in they were allowed to love me in the season that I was in. Um, I didn't want their blessing. I wanted my blessing. I didn't want their baby. I wanted my baby. And I knew through every bad report, um, loss, just negative test, everything, setback, I knew that one day when I would look at my baby in the eyes, I would know why I waited. I would know why we waited for this baby this side of heaven. And so I had a sarcastic joke always running around with me and my business and clients and stuff. People would join me and they'd get pregnant within like three weeks. I'm like, girl, you want to get pregnant? Come join my team. Hey, (laughs) you want to get pregnant? Come have lunch with me. Let me hug you because I get everybody pregnant but myself. (laughs) But there's a real battle when you have to celebrate others all the time, but you're constantly grieving for yourself. And so that was something that no one could help me with. There was no book out there. There was no self-help program. There was no sermon that did it. 
it was honestly me in my individual walk with the Lord to know my heart and where it was at. So after our second loss, I knew that I honestly was really struggling and not being my best self. So after our up to IVF and after our first loss, I found myself in bad habits. It's so crazy how bad habits can come back so quickly. You so know? you're saying second loss of your second loss of IVF. Uh, yes, oh, our second baby that we lost okay. after that. And we had a transfer. Um, we went through. We're moving good. Things were great. You get ready to the heartbeat and no heartbeat. Um, so that first loss, I fell back into big unhealthy habits um, that were not like me, that I haven't done in 10 years, you know, like not drinking enough water and reaching for junk and sleeping and drinking too much wine, you know, yeah. and doing things that, Mending a heartbreak. yeah, Uh-oh. I really was. And I kept, like, I tried to explain it to a girlfriend of mine. I said, I feel like I'm walking around that, you know, that feeling, every girl knows it, the boy that you love, you know, he broke up with you. And in that day you can't function. I felt like I was walking around in that can't function mindset for days and weeks at a time. And so I know that doesn't even compare, but I was trying to explain it to someone who wasn't walking that road. My heart just feels crushed every day. And so I fell into a season of really bad habits again of too much Chick-fil-A, too much cake, too much wine. And I lost myself. I, I wasn't running as much. I would, then I would miss a week and then two weeks and then there wasn't weights. And then before I knew it, I, um, was just letting my mindset go down trash TV and trash talk. And I wasn't being my best self. So after our second loss, Corona hit and the world changed. And I think everybody was feeling weird. And I knew while everybody was watching the Tiger King and eating chips, (laughs) I was like, I can either continue to feel this pain sitting down or I can feel this pain and stand up and move forward and health being very important to me. I knew that if I needed to help anybody else, I had to help myself first. I I can't guide anybody if I can't guide myself and I feel best when I'm well, when I love myself, um, when I'm singing positive, speaking positive, eating great, moving, and not saying that every day is great, but just going through the motions of greatness. It's going to lead and it's going to add up. Um, So I started to dig deeper during my wellness journey and I just took control. And I honestly think taking control was huge because during the season I had zero control and it was something I could control. We can control our health. We can control our day-to-day outcome. We can. Yes, the curveballs come, but we can control if we show up to a workout or not. We can control if we read the devotional or the book or not. We can control if we're going to use vulgar language or not. And so I just knew I needed to take control in this season. So during this time, it was about a six-month break I took from medication. And it started at the beginning of COVID time? It was like, yeah, it was March. I guess it was. We were in the middle of what they call an ERA. Um, it's like a diagnostic test to figure out your blood, your uterus, the timing of why the baby isn't making it to past six weeks. Or, you know, so they were really trying to find bigger answers. So we were in the middle of doing that ERA test when COVID did hit. And we knew the best option was to pull the plug completely. And so that was hard because it was a forced pause. And then when it did pick back up, I still didn't feel ready. Well, I was Mm going to say, I bet with COVID hitting, even before everything got paused Mm -hmm. or put on hold, you're probably like all this timing stuff 
mm-hmm. it can be totally effective. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it was a forced pause at first. And I was like, okay, the second they say we can start again, we're going, we're going, we're going. Because when you're a mother in waiting, and that's what I like to call all the mamas who are waiting, um, any waiting is misery. A day is a long time. A week is a long time. And, you know, for someone who's not counting their cycles and periods and ovulation, you're like, ooh, that month went by quick. But for somebody who is, 31 days is a hell of a long time, you know. And so after they lifted all of it and said, woohoo, we can start again. And they called me, you know, we, I was one of their top patients to get in because I was in the middle of that expensive protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, at that time, we still had five frozen embryos. Um, so they were ready to move forward with us and our payment was already paid and we were good to go. And I remember hanging up the phone and I just cried and cried and I lost my mind. And I told my husband, I feel guilty that I don't want to try right now. I want to feel well. I want to work out well. I want to be well. And I think I need to focus on me right now. And being as supportive as he is, he said, you, you do you, boo. Like, you, you do it. I'm here. And you tell me when you're ready. And I knew the worst outcome already twice. I knew the medicine. I knew the hormones. And I knew that. And I just felt like I needed to go to battle. And I needed to prep myself. Honestly, I felt like I was like, I need to put on the armor of God and I need to get busy. Um, so then when, or, when was this? If that was COVID opened up, how long So was they were they ready to job? take me in May, so March okay. to May, and I didn't go back till end of August. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I needed about three more months, 90 mm-hmm. days mm-hmm. of getting myself together. And during this time, I was working on my mindset. I was very strict on my boundaries with social media. I had to unfollow a lot of pregnant people. (laughs) Yeah, nothing. And you need to do that. If you need to unfollow somebody, unfollow somebody. If somebody is too thin and fit for you right now, unfollow them. You should not be thinking negative about them. That's Mm -hmm. something, that's a personal thing. And I knew that. It was me, not them. And so I had to unfollow a lot of people. I set my boundaries real big with TV and devices and work. Um, I got back into going to church regularly, uh, praying my devotional. I'm a big person who's a prayer uh, journaler and I love to journal. And that's a big advice thing that I could give to somebody is during these hard seasons, write it out. Cause a lot of times you can't say it and you would never want to tell somebody what you're thinking. Um, but write it out because you can't say anything that's going to scare God. You can't. And this allows you to process and it also allows you to come back and see how far you've come in a, in a journey. And that's really beautiful to see that where you were at and where you're going. So a whole nother side of miscarriage episode. If you haven't already listened to our miscarriage episode, um, what Jill just said is so true. Like you can't scare God. And my friend Amy shined light on that. She was like, God already knows what you're feeling. He's just waiting for you to bravely come to him Mm -hmm. and say, Hey God, I'm mad. I'm angry. And she related it to how many times were you disrespectful or did you talk back Mm -hmm. to your you know, human parents and they still loved you. Absolutely. And you know, I think about it now, like, and I bet you think about just looking at your son, you're like, what could he do to make you not love him? Right. Nothing. Right. I don't think, I feel like that about my dog. (laughs) I do too. Even when they're on their worst behavior. But seriously, you look at it and I've been an aunt for a long time and I'm very involved in their lives. And I look at them and I'm like, there's nothing you could say or do that would make me not come pick you up 
buy you a new shirt, take love you, hug you. There's nothing. Now it doesn't mean I'm not going to disappoint. No, I'm not going to. Yeah, sure. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you you done messed up. You know, but but I'm going to love you. Yes. And that so many people in today's world we don't have those examples as parents. I very very blessed. I have great parents. Um, I come from a divorced home, but great, great, great parents and very loved. And I, you know, I was a teacher for a long time. So I saw a lot of kids who didn't have that role model. And I think that's where we struggle with ourself is we didn't have that role model physically in the world. So we think, well, then if I didn't have that here, then how could a God that I can't physically see love me? And so there's that big struggle. But, um, during this time of like the big break, that I was doing, like I said, journaling was such a huge part of mine. And I just would just, oh Lord, if you even saw some of those lines that I wrote, I remember writing like, God, I feel dead. I think Jill died. Wow. Jill died. I don't think that Jill's ever going to come back ever. And I remember telling my best friend, I told her, I don't know if I can help you because I think I'm dead. I don't think I'll ever come back to be healthy and to be happy. And I don't think I can walk that road with you. And we owned a business together and we loved each other and supported each other. I just didn't know how to be happy. And so when you're in a valley, you feel things you've never felt before, like never felt before. And it's a low of low, but the lowest that I've ever felt is probably even the closest that I've felt to God because I knew that if I can, you know, go through the day, go through the motions, just being me, that he was going to love me and I didn't have to do anything. And I think as a Christian, I struggled with that a lot because it was like, check went to church, check did a devotion, check served, check did this, check was nice to people. And I wasn't checking any of those boxes I just was making it through the day and I'm very big about, you know, quotes and scripture and words speak to me and the verse, you know, be still and know that I'm God. And I held onto that so tight and I just kept saying, I don't have to do anything. I just got to be still. I can be still because I am still, I feel dead, you know? And so I don't have to show up. I don't have to be there. I don't have to go to that baby shower. I don't have to help her. I don't have to be the positive friend that leads. I don't have to be the one to do the book study. I don't have to be the one that's rallying the troops. I can just be still and be loved. And that is honestly what I needed in like the lowest of lowest times. And so I did what I knew how to do. I started working out. I started focusing on my food. I started speaking life. I started circling prayers. I started fasting. I started sharing my story. And there is power in sharing your story. Um, We compare, again, thief of joy, and we think, oh, well, she tried longer than me, or they went through that loss, and I didn't do that, or she did that. And we think because it's not like hers, it's not worthy. And that's not it at all. We're supposed to have different stories. Like Randa's story, she's supposed to have the story of, I didn't even know I wanted to be a mom, and now it's like the highlight of my life. Mm -hmm. God molded her heart. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a story, and that is so powerful, and it needs to be shared. And we struggle daily with our individual selves and who we are, but that needs to be shared. We have a story, and our stories are meant to be testimonies to give others hope to make it through the valley. And if we don't have stories to hold on to, 
you know, to give us hope from others, what do we have? And so, you know, think about all the sermons you've been to, the concerts, to this. You're like, wow, she went through that. I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if she can do that. I can go with that. Yeah. You know, that's what we look at Instagram like, oh, she can lift that weight. I can lift that weight. Or if yeah. anyone follows you or half ass knows yeah. you online for to hear if she felt dead ever yeah. and she's still Jill and yeah. still all that she is, then I can do this too. Absolutely. And I, I mean, that I don't think you can feel much lower than that. And I'm a bit a person who's very big about speaking life. I'm very positive it's in it's who I am I, I'm always the glass half full person and so um that was a big low for me but you you can only go up from there I mean like God's got you no matter how broken you are he's going to put you together and it's going to be you know piece by piece and we want the full puzzle and you know we want the whole thing today but the pieces are what's beautiful and that's how he molds our heart and that's how he you know loves us as his individual children but um, so starting to share my story was huge for me because... So during your six month mm-hmm. break, is that when you started talking more about your yes, IVF journey? Or yes, because journey? I needed people to give me some grace and I needed people to love me for where I was at and being on social media and, you know, sharing up and, you know, showing up and doing all the things people expect some things from you. And if all of a sudden you fall off the end of the world, you know, people got Which questions, got yeah, like what's alive? going on. Yeah. And I know that I relate to people the best when they're vulnerable Mm -hmm. and vulnerable is being hard. It's hard, but I knew that that's where I feel drawn to people. I had to think, when do I feel connected to someone when they open up, when they're vulnerable, when they tell me they struggle, when they tell me this is hard, we look at women, especially us girls. And we look at say her life is beautiful, her car, her baby, her husband, or this, but we don't ever see there was a struggle, but like there's some marriages out there that, I love to follow in some of their devotions and stuff. And they're like, you know, we had two rough years where we didn't know we were going to make it. And you're like, okay, girl, I can, hey, you're not perfect. You just connect to people a little bit more. And so I started really openly sharing um, and telling people, I just need you to love me for where I'm at. I don't know if I'm going to give you my best self. I don't know if I'm going to, this is going to be the best, you know, perfect journey. If I'm going to eat the right things, work out the right way, say the right things, you know, give you the motivational speech that you want for the day, but I'm just going to show up and give you what I got. And I don't know what that's going to be daily. And I had great love and support. Um, I remember making a post, it was probably March or April, and it was after a workout and I was sweaty and looked a hot mess. And I remember the caption of it was, I never thought I'd be losing the baby weight without the baby. And I just asked people, I need you to just love me for where I'm at. I don't need you to give me advice. I don't need you to tell me this worked for you. I don't need you to tell me that you stood on your head and sang duck, duck, goose and you got pregnant. I don't need you to tell me that the toxins in my home and my candles and my laundry detergent, I don't need you to tell me nothing. I don't need you to tell me that the mascara I'm using is probably making me (laughs) not have babies. I don't need to tell you nothing. I just need you to love me for where I'm at. And during this time, Corona, you know, everybody was like, oh, yeah. And everybody wanted a sitter. And everybody was like, get these kids out my house, you know, (laughs) take these kids. I don't want to be a homeschool teacher. And it was funny. We all laughed. But I didn't need anybody to tell me, well, you can come watch my kids. Well, you can have one of my Corona rugrats. And And I remember following this Mm -hmm. journey with you, Jill. And not only was she building and showing up every day for her Carrie Underwood legs. You have to go back and see those. She's total leg goals. Still is at eight months pregnant. But I just thought that what a confident, strong woman to say, here's where I'm at in my journey. 
but I don't need you to, you know, make me feel better. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to tell me where I can go find an adoption clinic. I don't need you to tell me where your neighbor who's now happy with her, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't need, I just need you to say, Hey girl, you're doing great. Keep going. And so true. And, And I know, we know, we all put our foot in our mouth. We say the wrong things. We don't know what to say. People are kind. They want to be kind. They want to love you. But sometimes we just, again, I feel that where I can be a voice is to teach people how to, you know, love somebody in a difficult season and just bring awareness. And that's my overall goal because I I can't tell you how many times people said, I'd be a surrogate for you or I'll give you my eggs or do you want my husband's sperm? Girl, I don't want your husband's sperm. I want my husband's sperm. They do that so nice. (laughs) No, I want my husband's baby, you know? And so, and I get it all jokes aside, but. They're only meaning to. Exactly. You know, and. Even your closest friends, your sisters, your sister-in-laws. Well, you can come get your nieces and nephews whenever you want. That's not the desire. You know, it's a, it's different. And so, I just, like I said, I can say that over and over until I'm blue in the face. I just needed people to love me for where I'm at. And I think that's a big thing of an infertility journey. If you're on it or know someone who is struggling, your sister-in-law, your cousin, your coworker, and you're like, what can I do for them? It's loving people for where they're at and knowing it's not about you. You know, they may have a really hard day and show up at the office and not want to talk. It ain't about you. She ain't mad at you, you know, Um, or she may deny the diaper shower party. It ain't about you. You know, she doesn't want to go and ruin your day because she might be there in tears. Yeah. You know, and so that was just a big thing about sharing our story. Probably like educated a lot of people quietly along the way, Mm -hmm. like on their side being Mm -hmm. quiet about it, but kind of helped self set those boundaries for you and just opened up kind of more of the journey you were walking through so that people would just be more aware of it. Absolutely. And you know, a lot of people, we use the word infertile and I'll be very honest. I don't use that word in my vocabulary. I speak life into my life, into my womb and my body and my baby. And I have for years and, um, you know, we use these words like, Oh, she's barren. She's infertile and stuff. And that's a hard one for me because God's greater than all. You know, we had a doctor's report one time that um, told us that we had a 2% chance of conceiving naturally um, for us if we were to do it in the bed like husband and wife um, do, uh, less than 2% chance. And I remember looking at that report and I just kept saying, he's greater than that. He is so much greater than that. I have, No, my womb is healthy. Your sperm is great. No, no, we will not claim that over us. And I think a lot of times we do take a victim card because it's easier. And we want people to feel sorry for us. And, and we all struggle with that. Into self-help and self-awareness mm-hmm. is hard. Oh, it's so hard. The hardest thing you can ever do. I was a teacher by trade. Um, I taught third grade reading and writing. Um, hardest thing you can do is personal reflect, turn the finger around and say, what am I doing? Where did I not show up? You know, and I'd look at that. If my kiddos, half of them failed the math test. Okay, what's going on here? What did I do? Well, I'm the common denominator here, and that's a big thing of personal growth. And I've had to do that a lot on this journey to say, okay, where am I not showing up? What am I speaking to myself right now? Like today was a bad day, or this week was a bad week. What are the words that I'm saying? What am I writing? What am I doing? And so a lot of times I have to say, well, you're not doing anything. You know, you're living in this funk of a spiral. I have to check myself and say, okay, what are the steps? And I have to take it back. Simple things like water, sleep, get off my phone, move my butt, fuel my body, go be around. Yeah, (laughs) I will tell you that I am a big, big, big person of music. Like, oh, it speaks to my soul. And so I do prayer walks almost 
almost every morning. Um, and I'll just turn on praise and worship music. And I, I probably passed by this road a million times where I could look out the window and think I'm a crazy person with my hands in the air. And I just, I'll just claim things. And through this whole pregnancy, I have even said, you know, this is a full-term baby in the name of Jesus. I'm here. <laughs> Ooh, this pregnancy feels so good. I love working out. And even when I don't, um, and I have claimed even like, I'm like, all right, Jill, you've eaten bad for like four days. I'm like, Ooh, you love salad. Ooh, pregnancy is so good. I love vegetables. Like, and before I know it, I am like, mm-hmm. you just start to do it. And so that self-help and self-talk, I mean, it's up to us, yes. nobody else but us. Well, so if you don't say the word infertile, which I, yes. I really love that perspective, mm-hmm. what about the word infertility? Where I do. I word? use, where I, I say I'm on infertility journey. Okay. I don't ever say like I'm infertile, you because know? that is like It's like claiming, claiming that, that over no, me. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's anybody with a sickness, you know, um, whatever they're going through. My dad's a type two diabetic. Um, and so he, for years, Oh, I'm a diabetic. I can't, I'm a diabetic. I can't. Well, he's been on his wellness journey for about seven years. And today he's like, Oh no, my body as well. I reversed that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, just changes it. Yeah. And so it's how we speak to ourselves. And yes, a word is a word, but that's big on our mindset. And so for me, by saying things like I am infertile, like even this moment, that just shuts me down to think like, I can't have kids. Yeah. No, yeah. no. Right. My God's That's greater than that. Fertility journey. Yeah. It means you're not yeah. yet at your destination. No, I'm not. I'm on this journey. There's going to be valleys. There's going to be mountaintops. There's beauty. There's ashes. And this journey's not done. It's like a comma, not a period. I feel like when we put that infertile, it's like I'm infertile. Period. I, period. Mm-hmm. I'm done. No, I'm not done. As long as I got breath in my lungs and I got a God that loves me, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And there's things and options and miracles and ways and not everybody's story turns out like mine not everybody's story turns out you know in a certain way I have a friend of mine who hers ended up with three adopted children and she's like I can't imagine my life any different they were they're meant to be my babies they were always meant to be my babies um I have another girlfriend of mine who is going through snowflake adoption meaning she's adopting somebody else's embryos so she'll carry them but they are DNA made by another couple and it's like no those babies were always meant to be mine you know they may not look like me but I carried them I birthed them and it just everybody's story is different but I feel like we're so quick to put a period you know, not a comma. I also forgot to say in Jill's intro, um, she is eight months pregnant with her first baby, I which am. we'll, we will get there. <laughs> but when she said that, not I'm out of breath. <laughs> when she said, um, not everyone's story ends like mine. I do want y'all to know that she is I pregnant am. with her first baby, but she still has a lot of her story to share. Yeah. To give her. <laughs> um, so anyways, you know, through all that, I just, I was in this six month battle. I honestly, that's what I call it. I went to battle with myself and the devil, honestly. And I was like, you're going to get off my back. And I was weight training harder than I ever did in my life. Um, that was a medicine to me, you know, and that's not for everybody. I was running harder than I ever was. That was a medicine for me. I was praying harder. I was, you know, doing everything that I could. And during these times, I don't I don't say that I love it to weight train. I don't love to run, but I know that it makes me feel good. And I had a girlfriend of mine, um, She's gone through infertility as well and has an IVF baby. You probably know who she is. But um, she told me, you know what? Use your pain as power. And I was like, ooh, girlfriend. And I held on to that. Use your pain as power. And pain is what mm-hmm. connects people. Yeah. 
And a lot of times I kept telling people, you know, trauma changes you. And they were like, what are you doing? Oh my God, girl, you're showing up. You look great. Look at your legs. You know, your puffiness is falling off. How much weight have you lost? I'm like, I don't even know. And I'm not after weight. I'm just after well. And I got to do this. I got to move. I got to be. And my business was booming. And um, I got asked to be a part of a book. So I'm working on that. And I mean, there's just so much different stuff that came about. And people are like, what are you doing? You're just shining different. And I just kept saying, like, trauma changes you. And I'm using my pain as power. And they're like, girl, is everything good? I'm like, I'm not going to say it's good, but I'm moving. And I'm moving forward. I'm not in the bed today. And I'm up. Yeah, and people are like, oh, you just... And so some people kind of forgot about our journey of infertility and going through a loss because I was performing really well. I was going through the motions. My business is booming. My wellness is booming. My body's booming. Our marriage is booming. Just everything looked great on the outside. And so a lot of times people are like, oh, well, she must be over that. Like, oh, that's kind of a thing, you know? Okay. Yeah. Like, oh, girl, you just look so great. You inspire me. Oh, my gosh, that's so good. I'm so glad you've overcome. And I would just, you know, have to stop people and say, I just appreciate your support so much. Honestly, I'm still struggling. But I'm just using my pain as power. And I'm moving forward. And um, I can hurt sitting down or I can hurt standing up. And that's such a great perspective that just because you're reaching your, your fitness mm-hmm. goals or, you know, you're more active or you're showing up more doesn't mean that you're not still struggling. Absolutely. And, again, like we see that you know, prettiness, that face, that, that post, that story. And we see what we want to see. Um, but that's why I kept sharing so big about where I was at. And I'd be open with people. I'd say today was a hard day. You know, today I, I didn't want to do it. And today I struggled and another girlfriend told me she was pregnant and, and here we are. And I, I, I don't know what to say and what to do. And so I just started being very open and that allowed a lot of people to be in the boat with me. Um, and so I run into a lot of women every day who aren't sharing their story. And I'm not saying you have to, it's not for everybody, but some people haven't even told their parents. Some people haven't even told their sister, you know, their own best friend that they're seeking profession or excuse me, medical help. And then they're annoyed that their sister is complaining about their kids. And they're just like, well, your sister doesn't know to not say that around you, you know, or maybe even not very open with their spouse about their feelings or their fears. Yes. I remember telling Dakota, like when I finally broke down to him and was like, we have to go to the doctor and we have to do this. I just felt, I remember we were in our old house in the kitchen and I just lost it. And he was like, I didn't know it was that far. Like, I didn't know you couldn't talk about it without losing your mind. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I should have said something like six months prior, you know, like I have actually ping on these sticks. And I'm, I do it when you're not home because I lose my mind for like two hours and I have to get it together. And again, as someone as we have a very strong marriage and very open, um, I struggled with that. And when you so, wanted to protect him from yeah, some of that. With your absolutely. And so um, in August, I, my husband and I went out to a little coffee shop here in town. It was close by the Stella. It was one called POV. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we had gotten a new Jeep. He got a new toy. And so we were taking a Jeep ride. And we went and got a coffee. And we sat at that table. And he told me, he said, I think I love you so much. But I think if you don't continue to keep moving, you won't move. Like to call the doctor, to go back Mm -hmm. because you've come so far. Like, I'm so proud of you. You look so good. You're doing great things. But I know you don't want to feel that pain again. And he said, tell me what can I do to help you if we go through this with pain? And I was like, you're right. Because I was feeling some things on my heart too. And so we needed a little couple moment. And I said, you're right. I'm just nervous because I know 
the worst case scenario. I know no heartbeat. I know no baby. I know losing another one. And I, I, I know I'm tough. I can do hard things, but I just don't know if I want to feel that again so soon. And he said, if you, we don't feel that again so soon, this is going to be our life for what, 10 years, 15 years? Like how long are we going to do what? And he said, I think we need to do all the things. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I think we need to call an adoption agency. I think we need to get back on the phone with the doctor. I think we need to try naturally. I think we just need to do everything and let God guide that. And so as his wife, you know, I honor that. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, what do you mean? Like call this person, this person. And we did. We called an adoption agency here in town. We called our doctor. And at this point in time, we were not trying naturally because when you're going through all these medication protocols, they don't want you to accidentally get pregnant because you're taking too many hormones. So defects and things like that. So they kind of scared the Jesus out of you. And you're like, don't touch me. Yeah. So at this point in time, um, and, and I'll talk about this, you know, intimacy, there was a gap there. We had to learn to love each other differently besides just the marriage bed mm-hmm. and with that type of intimacy. Um, so that was on a Sunday. We went and got coffee. And then Monday, we did all the things, literally. Let's we had sex that day. <laughs> we called the doctor <laughs> agency um, and we called the doctor. And so we just said, and I, we prayed before we did really big. And we just said, God guide us guide us. If we're meant to have adopted babies, you're going to put them in our lap. If we're meant to have biological babies, you're going to put them in our lap. And if you're meant for this to be this uh, uh uh-oh accident corona kid that we've already paid bukus and bukus of money for, okay, (laughs) we're here. Just guide us. Um, We got on the wait list for the adoption agency for their like new meeting um, and they had to do virtual. So we got onto that, got on the medical protocol, you know, kept moving and grooving. um, And honestly, kept having sex <laughs> and, yeah, I, Carrie Underwood I, and I and I secretly was hoping like we'd have one of those stories you know like oh we did all this and lost it and then look what happened you know but anyway so that wasn't the that was like July 31st I remember that because I think it was August the 1st that everything started and uh so kept driving back to Houston for doctor's appointments and I kept getting some kind of bad reports. My, um, I wasn't ovulating appropriately. My uterus wasn't sitting right. The lining wasn't thin and thick enough. And it was just one, I was, I kept telling my husband, I feel like I just go to get bad news. The phone's going to ring and they're going to tell me something else is wrong. Something else is wrong. And my doctor through it all, he was like, what's crazy to me is you are so healthy. You are the textbook of textbook patient. He's like, I don't have to talk to you about food, about supplements, about wellness, about prenatal, about water. Yeah. He's (laughs) like, you are textbook perfect. And one time he told me, he said, I'm because he's he's a Christian man and I really, we really respect him. And he's just a great guy. And uh, he said, I honestly think things get held up because this ain't your baby's birthday yet. And I just was like, okay, I can love you for that. Mm-hmm. It was hard for me to even respond, but I remember driving home from Houston and thinking, there's a bump in the road because it's not supposed to be my baby's birthday yet. Okay, okay. And the word yet is powerful. powerful. Very, very powerful. Um, so October the 20th, well, first it was October the 10th, 2020, we were supposed to have a transfer. And everything was good, good to go. I got one more bad report, and they said no. And so we're waiting again, waiting again. Finally, we got the green light for October the 20th um, to do an embryo transfer, and we, we transferred two. Um, and so 
things. It was so funny going in. So a lot of times with IVF, you'll hear women, you know, acupuncture, Brazil nuts, wreath, was it red raspberry pomegranate tea? Wear the socks, don't take a bath, do the, I mean, every old tale. And I will tell you, I did that through every single transfer except this last one. I stopped it all. I didn't go to an acupuncture. I stopped the chiropractor. I stopped massages. I stopped everything. I just kept doing what I was doing. I would get up, I'd work out, I'd pray, I'd read, drink my water, work, love people, laugh, have a beer, do my thing. You know, like honestly, I'm like, nope. I felt like I was so bombarded in molding it. Like, okay, I have to have acupuncture at this time. I have to drink this tea at this time. And it's overwhelming doing so many mm-hmm. things. And Pineapple core at this time. Brazil nuts at this time. Eat this at, the, oh Lord, I mean, just so much. And so I didn't do anything. And the morning of our transfer on October the 20th, it was at six o'clock in Houston. We had to be at the surgical center at 4.30. So it's dark as can be. My alarm went off about two. My husband said, what are you doing up? I said, I'm going to get a workout in because it's going to be my last one not pregnant. Oh my God, you make me want to cry. <laughs> That's amazing, Jill. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, go get a mama. And I worked out harder. Than I ever did in my entire life. From about 2.30 to 3.30, I was lifting heavier than I ever lifted. <laughs> I was sprinting down our road <laughs> at 3 o'clock in the morning. I pushed until it hurt. And every push-up, every squat, every burpee, I just said, I thank you, Jesus. I am pregnant. I am pregnant. My body is well. My body is able. And this baby will live to full term. And I claimed it over and over and over again. I was like speaking in tongues, grunting out there. And so I just had this conviction and this feeling. I just was like, this is it. This is my last pregnant or my last workout, not pregnant. And I'm going to give it all I got. And I did, and then I went in and I showered, and I didn't even wear like you're supposed to, not supposed to. It's just this funny thing, like you wear pineapple socks to your transfer, <laughs> and you wear the shirt that says IVF got this. Mm-hmm. I was like, screw it, I'm wearing a sweatshirt, <laughs> and I'm not wearing nothing that says nothing about nothing. I'm just going in, and um, I, uh, we went in and we just listened to worship music the whole way to Houston, and I remember my I was shaking so bad. And when we got in there, they said, well, your blood pressure's off the roof, and so we cannot get you into the surgery room yet. We're going to need you to, like, come down. And uh, my doctor walked in, and he just looked at me. And at this point in time, he's been working with us for years. (laughs) He knows us very well. And uh, he just knew that I was probably on the verge of either puking, crying, passing out something. He's like, this isn't Jill. I'm very sarcastic, and hey, what's up? And I wasn't. And uh, the nurse came in and, you know, they go through the whole procedure. And we're going to do this. I said, oh, girl, you ain't got to tell me. This ain't my first rodeo. And I said that. And my doctor spun around and he said, no, but this rodeo is going to be a good one. And he said, I normally don't do this, but let's put on some Texas country in the surgery room. Go tell him to put that on. And I was like, okay. He said, I just feel like we need to lighten the vibe. And so we prepped for it and we went in and you're awake during the transfer and everything. And we knew um, we were going to transfer too. And my body was looking good. Things were great. Um, 
and you know they did everything we need to do they put you on bed rest afterwards you're very low-key and at that point in time your mind starts playing big games with you because you know your baby is inside of you but then there's obstacles you know they check you at every doctor's different mind checks at seven days 10 days 12 days 14 days you know all these things up to heartbeat and so we um our first check was day 10 which was October the 30th. It was about my mom's 60th birthday and right before Halloween. And uh, Dakota had to take my husband. He had to take a work call. And he knew that we were going to be getting a call from the doctor because I had to go back up that morning. And they either tell you there's positive life or not. Um, so I was like, no, I got this. I, I'd rather take the phone call alone. Like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And so he went off to do a work call and I was sitting on my back porch and I remember the post I had just made on Instagram. (laughs) And as soon as I clicked post, I even know what I was wearing, my phone rang and it was the nurses and they just said, hey, Jill. And, you know, they sounded the same way they always sound. I just thought, here we go again. You know, Um, this is Dakota there with you. And I thought, great. You know, they want him to be there. And I said, no, he's not. They said, okay, well, we just have some stuff we need to share with you. Hold on for a second. And they put me on speakerphone and everybody in the entire office just started <laughs> screaming and hollering. And, um, yeah, I was, it was such a beautiful moment. Um, and so that started our journey. And again, we showed, so they go through beta numbers is what they call them, your hormone levels. Um, all of our numbers showed positive for both of them that took and, we were just, you know, tickled as can be, and um, we had knew, uh, known that it was a boy-girl transfer. We knew the sexes beforehand. Um, so, anyways, that started that whole journey, and um, about, about four weeks later, uh, we lost one. So, Griggs was a twin, um, and so now we find out that was sister, because... He for sure is a boy on all pictures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But that definitely was a Halloween to never forget. Um, I got to, even though my family knew what was going on, we got to capture their emotions when they found out. And we got to record that. And so that was something that I prayed for for a long time. I can't wait to tell my mom I'm pregnant, you know. You can't wait to tell your friends. You can't wait to tell your dad. And these are things you almost grieve and mourn after losses and after such a long, hard road. And so every report, they watched me very closely to make sure heartbeat was still good, still good. Um, And that's a big blessing during an IVF process is you get very babied and they see you all the time for everything. So we got to see um, so many ultrasounds and the heartbeat and everything like that. And so even though today I am eight months pregnant with our rainbow, rainbow, rainbow baby. He's our triple rainbow baby. Um, our story is nowhere near done. Um, we, we know this has been a long road and he still has three brothers or sisters waiting on him frozen. (laughs) Uh, it's funny. They're all created at the same time. So they're the same age, but you know, um, and we know that we definitely are going to give all of our kids a fighting chance because they already have cells and chromosomes and genders and they already have personalities. I mean, 
an embryo, you can already tell the hair color and eye color. You can tell everything. It, truly, I've never felt closer to God than going through IVF because you hold on to that scripture, I formed you before you were in your mother's womb, to a whole wow. new level. He does. He forms you before you're ever even in a womb. And we got to watch all of our babies go inside of me. Um, and, you know, there isn't a day that I don't go by not thinking about the ones who didn't make it on this side of heaven. But just like any mother or woman who's gone through loss, you know that you're supposed to have this baby on this side of heaven. You don't know why, the what, but Jesus needed the other ones. And he needed you to have time with this one. And there's not even words to explain it. But having that love with the Lord and that relationship with him doesn't necessarily make it just easy. But you know that there's hope. And you know that one day... When I do get to heaven, there's going to be multiple children waiting on me that look like my husband and I. And yeah, that's powerful. And I know that that'll happen because of our hope in the Lord. I love that. Are you ready for me to ask some yeah, questions? Yeah. Wow, that was so good, Jill. <laughs> um, okay, I want to know more about the six month break. Okay. Okay, so. You know, you talk about y'all being at the um, coffee shop mm-hmm. and your husband kind of like preaching that into you. Did he just like feel it was time? Saw yeah. you at your best? You know, I know I followed your your fitness post. Was there like a, a goal you were trying to reach or something you needed to cling to or, or tie to before you were ready for the next step? I feel like it wasn't a number. I wasn't after a weight or a pant size or a business goal or anything. I felt like... I just needed like this stamina, like this personal mindset strength to know like the wind's blowing, but I'm not getting knocked down. And I was proving myself kind of wrong in this break, in this journey, because I was like, God, you know, I don't know if I'll get back to that or do that. And I'd do that and then whoop it. Or my timed mile would go down by two minutes or this. And I was never really trying to just make a weight loss goal, or like I said, or a number goal, but I was proud of myself and my husband was very proud of me and he saw me. I hate, I hate the word bounce back. I hate when people say like, right. do you want to bounce back after right. a baby? No, you're I a mean, different... I struggle with putting my yeah. postpartum fitness out there like, too. You're a different you woman. Yes. Like, I don't know. This is a different season. It's a new right. body. Right. We'll, we're getting there. Right. I don't know. And so, you know, he'd say like, not only like, have you gotten to that other, he's like, you've exceeded where you were at, like your mental game, your heart, your physical well-being, who you are as a business owner. He's like, I've seen you just transform yourself. Multi-dimensional. Yeah. And he's like, baby, strong as hell. And I'm like, no, one, I got, I know, you know, and so I feel like I needed him being my best friend and, you know, my husband. It's like God used him to speak that into me to say, you know, we got to make a move and I know you're ready. I believe in you. You can do this. You can do hard things. Um, or are we going to be content with us? And we're going to, you yeah. know, put a pause on that. Yeah. Okay. The next question is, you say how IVF took the hardest hit on your mindset. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate a little more on that? Absolutely. Um, first off, medication is hard. Hard. When you're injecting yourself daily, um, and I will, I just have to shout out to my husband. I've said a million times, he's amazing. I've never, ever, 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 we counted our shots. It was like 390, gave myself one. Oh, wow. He's given me every single, my sister gave me one shot when he was out of town at the dearly. So. <laughs> 
but I've never had to give myself one injection. He walked that road with me. I felt the pain, the medicine, but he made sure his schedule was available. He would adjust clients and times and this and that. And he just wanted to be involved as much as he could and not make it of me feeling so alone in the bathroom by myself struggling. I mean, we even hauled it through the airports many a times and would find a you know, unisex bathroom and sanitize up and strip down and do. I mean, we did it in, uh, on airplane. Did it. So funny. <laughs> we knew that on the airplane. He gave me a sh- I mean, like all the times. It's just wow. crazy. Yeah. Um, but medication is so, so hard. And so for my mindset, for someone who thinks positive and, you know, tries really hard to just put one foot in front of the other and just do the dang thing every day when you're taking in big amounts of estrogen and testosterone and hormones and things that are making your body just, it's like you have the worst PMS nonstop. It never goes away. Think of your worst day when you like say, screw it. I'm going to Chick-fil-A. I'm getting cake and I'm going to bed like that day. It's that day over and over and over again. Your worst cramps, your worst headache, your worst bloating, your worst acne breakout. Like the things that we hate, we all get those three days that we hate, but it was right. a, a year of that, I felt like. Wow. Yeah. And so that was such a struggle for me. And I will admit, um, like I said, leading up to our first and then after our first loss, um, I let myself go. I did. I, I, I guess, relished in that pain um, and got so wrapped up in it that I fell back to some unhealthy habits and kind of lost myself. And nobody could tell me that but me. And I had to realize what being my best self meant. And that was that personal reflection, that mindset. Honestly, me preaching what I preach to other people every day and swallowing that. Because even though you can teach it, sometimes it's hard to walk it. Mm-hmm. You know, we can say it all day long and it, it is what it is. And so I had to say, am I practicing what I'm preaching? Am I walking out what I'm promoting? And I had to call my own BS and say, no, I'm not. Turn the finger around and get to work. That yeah. takes a hell of a woman. It took a lot of prayer. Yeah. Lord, help. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Yeah. Okay. I want to I shine some light on positive for a little bit before we dive into the listeners' questions. And Jill, I want you to tell me, God, I feel so emotional. I mean, I've only met Jill in person a handful of times, but just following her story online, I feel so emotional even asking her this, but tell me some of the things that you're most excited for in your upcoming new mom journey of life. I honestly can't even answer it without just melting. (laughs) I know that being a mom is hard. I have watched many of powerful women I'm just honored to be an aunt. I'm honored to love my friends' babies like they were my nieces and nephews. And I have a big heart for kids. And so I have a big heart for moms. And I know that that, you know, the cliche, you know, the shirts, ain't no hood like motherhood. And if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. And I get it. And I respect the hell out of women for being a mom. But even like when my baby doesn't feel good and they only want me to hold them. That I'm the only person that can fix that. I can't even wrap my mind around walking into his room and him saying, Mama, I just, I can't even think 
like walking into a room coming to pick him up or if it's daycare or nanny or school or he's been with his granny and him just to run to me, to miss me. To know that I've prayed over his life so many times. I've prayed for his wife and he's not even here yet. (laughs) I've prayed for his friends. I've prayed for his school and to see all of that come just to know that he's so covered in prayer. He's so very loved. And for him to turn around and tell me how much he loves me too. Um, I always say moms do hard things. And for some of us, that starts before that baby is ever even created, thought of, or on this side of heaven. And so I feel like I've been doing some hard things (laughs) for him and will continue. But just to... I can't even imagine seeing him because I'm in this moment right now where he's kicking constantly and giving me some weird little pains and this and that. And I see his little picture and I tell myself, I tell my husband daily, is this like real? Is this real life? Like he's just going to come out and he's going to be and then they're going to let us take him home. And like he's ours. I just, I I can't even, it's almost like a fairy tale world. You are going to be the best mom. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. Whew, I'm so glad that Jill is so openly sharing this with us. And y'all sent in a lot of um, listener questions that I want to go over. So the first one is, how do you help a friend going through the infertility journey? Oh, yeah. Oh, this is a big one. I get this question a lot, too. Um, I even get some sweet messages from, like, some mother-in-laws and some grandmothers. My daughter-in-law is going through this. How do I love her? I am blessed with some great friends. I have two great friends that have just, goodness, been in the boat with me through it all. And I think the biggest ways that they have helped me is, A, they've loved me for where I'm at. And one of them was pregnant through all of my journey, basically. And she never made it about, like, her in a meaning of if I didn't celebrate something too much with her. Maybe, you know, I tried as much as I could for her, you know, if she showed me an ultrasound picture, oh my God, she's beautiful, oh my gosh, you know, but she never would be like, well, you didn't post about it or you didn't talk about it or you didn't say it enough. No. Um, she didn't make it. No. Better. And even when I told her I was going to host her baby shower, she immediately said, hey, you don't have, oh gosh, my sister-in-law will do that. No. And so not to expect me to do certain things in that season. Um, but huge ways that so many friends helped me were they would ask me, Hey, when's your next doctor's appointment? I want to be in prayer for you. Can you tell me what I can specifically pray about? And I would say things, because it's a whole nother like lingo in the IVF world. You're like, I'm waiting for the thickening of my lining to reach this. You know, you don't know what that means unless you've been there. And so I could say things like, I need my lining to be at a three point this. We need Dakota sperm to be at a this and a this. Um, I need my basal temperature to be this. We're expecting this report. And they'd be like, okay, I, I, tell me what I can specifically pray for. And what they did, and this meant so much to me, they obviously went to their phone, put an alarm on that day. And then that morning at like 6 a.m., before I'd even get to the doctor, I'd have a voice text of someone just saying, hey, I know you're headed to the doctor today. You don't have to respond to me, but I'm just praying. And they'd pray over me on the phone and our report um, and say, you don't have to tell me the outcome, what goes on, but I'm expecting a praise report today and I'm going to walk in that victory until we know otherwise. And so that was a big blessing for people to do that. Um, Another big blessing is when we did get bad reports like no heartbeat, um, 
or a failed cycle or something that was huge for us, um, I'd just have a girlfriend be like, hey, there's Chick-fil-A on your front porch, you know? Just a simple thing to be like, I didn't have to think about food that night because I wasn't. (laughs) Um, And then I remember last Mother's Day, I had two girlfriends send me flowers and just write the sweetest prayer and just say that they just were claiming for me to have, you know, future Mother's Days and that I felt loved on that day and that um, standing with me in faith to be a mother in waiting. And so that was really sweet and I feel like the best thing that people can do is to love you for where you're at and know it's okay if you don't show up. I never, thankfully, like I said, I had tons of pregnant people around me, but nobody was ever mad. I didn't go to a couple showers. I didn't go to a couple things and I would just say, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it. And them loving me for where I was at, they weren't mad at that, that I was missing this experience for them. Honestly, I didn't want to ruin their day. You know, because I couldn't be the friend that was, woohoo, let's have a great time and pose for a picture and let me touch your stomach. And some days I could, but some days I couldn't. And for them loving me for where I was at was really huge. I think that's that's really big because, and I love the Chick-fil-A thing on your yeah. front porch because there's probably, you know, with me not, you know, going through that journey and being, I'm sure there's listeners out there listening like that want to learn, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so I love the specific prayer. Yeah. I think that was the biggest thing is when people would like set a reminder on their phone Mm -hmm. and then, you know, I may not check it for six hours because I have phone boundaries and all the things, but just to know like, wow, there's, you know, they remembered me. Yes. I told them that like four weeks ago that Uh I had a doctor's appointment. And so I've tried really hard to do that in my own life with people, a girlfriend who has a, you know, a mom who's got a cancer appointment or Mm -hmm. whatever. I've really tried to carry that on in my life with just any scenario because I don't know what that's like. I don't know what this is like. Um, They're meeting the divorce lawyer, this or that. And I say, what day is that? And I put it in my phone. I set an alarm. So that day, you know, the reminder goes off and says, be in prayer for blank about blank. And then I can pray specifically and then message them. And if I want to say a sweet word or pray to them out loud, it does help. And I love that they said, you don't need to respond to me Mm -hmm. because that has always been the biggest thing, which is huge because you don't, and they don't don't have to. Mm -hmm. And I also love that they say, you don't need to tell me the outcome because Uh we have, you know, friends and family that have struggled with it. And I'm like, I'm here for you, but you don't have to tell Mm -hmm. me like, I'm not checking in to be nosy to know how it's going. Yes. I'm in the boat with you and I'm standing in faith with you. And that's it. And you don't have to say Mm -hmm. or respond to things. And I think that was the biggest weightlifters. I love hearing that. Okay, tell me about um, dealing with the anxiety and emotions of the journey. Yeah. Ooh, yay. Anxiety, emotions. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this kind of goes back to me sharing a lot in my story that medicine is is hard. You know, loss is hard. Waiting is hard. Being around other people who are going through what you desire, you know, have what you desirely want to have um, is hard. And so I'm someone I've never struggled with anxiety until I went through infertility ever. I never had a panic attack in my life. People would tell me, oh, I've got anxiety. I'm in the bed. I'm on meds. Panic. I'm like, I don't get it. I never, I never did. And so that was always hard for me. And again, God molded my heart and gave me empathy and grace for other people. Now I get it when people are like, you know, I'm going through this and I can't even function. I don't even want to see people. I'm like, girl, Ooh, I get you. Like, okay, you know, but I didn't have that beforehand. So having full-blown panic attacks, legit, like cannot breathe, cannot function, that happened to me um, multiple times. And I was 
it's freak out mode when you've never been in that situation. Thankfully too, I've said this, you know, mentioned it a few minutes ago, but like I have a husband who is a hell of a rock um, and he is the leader of our home. And so he is someone who I don't have to be up always. He carries me big, big, big time. Um, I have very good friends that I can easily just say, today's not a good day or this happened. I can tell them the ugly of ugly and with no judgment, they are there. And that's a huge blessing. I know everybody doesn't have that. Um, but I think that that spirals back into my walk with the Lord. I don't know how I would be where I'm at today or even go through this if I didn't have a relationship with God. I I don't, I don't know that at all. Um, I'm real big about music and I mean, certain little signs and things, I call them God winks throughout the day. Like every time I see a red bird, I'm like, God wink, there's my grandma. Hey, you know, like I always, you know, I don't know. And so little things to me, I feel like I know God speaks through us through people. And I know he speaks through us through scenarios and songs and lyrics and whatever. He'll put something in your path and you're like, okay, you know, I was supposed to see that. And I believe that he speaks to us through that. And if I didn't have that, I can't tell you how many times I would see something or someone would say something to me. And it was like, they didn't know that, you know, but it just brought down that calmness. But again, if I didn't have that relationship with the Lord, I wouldn't be looking for light, honestly. That's a wonderful answer. And we, and Amy talked about that a lot Mm -hmm. on the miscarriage one about, you know, just the walk with the Lord and what it took. Another really um, repetitive question we had was, how did you realize that you were at the point that you needed to seek medical help? Absolutely. Well, if you Google, you know, the big Google, uh, infertility is actively trying for one year without, you know, having that success. Um, So we were over that mark. I was in my, so I'm 32 now, so I guess I was in my late 20s when we started. Um, So, you know, it's not like I was 21 Fertile Myrtle over here. You're like, okay. Um, And I knew after that solid year mark, I guess it was just like, okay, I'm healthy. He's healthy. There's got to be an underlying issue or something. And I I think there's a fear, like I said, I think I mentioned this, but I think there's a fear with people just rather would not know, you know, like, oh, we'll just keep trying to try. It's like, but how long do you just keep trying without knowing something. And now looking back, I'm like, we should have gone in sooner because we did have contributing factors that could have helped us, you know, sooner. Um, obviously God's timing. Here we are. It wasn't my baby's birthday yet, yeah. you know, <laughs> birthday yet. Um, but we could have gotten the ball, ro- ball rolling on some tests that took a while. You know, it took one of the tests my husband had to do. I mean, I remember we waited like 12 weeks for the results. It was that big of a deal. Um, so for us and anybody, you know, walking this road, 12 months is where any doctor would tell you to seek help. But honestly, I wouldn't even say wait till that. I'd say, you know, like, yeah, you, probably have a, you know, if you're someone who's healthy and functioning, or if you're not, if you've never had regular cycles. Um, and so now looking back in my life, I can probably see some red flags that came about. Um, I'm, I can be open about this. I was on birth control very young, had bad acne at, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14. I got on the pill well before I should have ever gotten on the pill, before I was sexually active. Um, yes, who Christian. Yeah, here we go. Um, but... That had a lot to do with it. And then I had um, endometriosis. So I had, yeah, signs of that. Kind of regulated a little bit as I got older. Some symptoms went away. I struggled really bad when I was young. Cycles that would last like 11 days bleeding. Yeah. In like seventh grade. 
So things you don't think of back in the day, but now here you are a grown woman and you're like, I guess I always didn't have regular cycles, huh? But when I got my gut health and eating and things to sure to regulate, but being 14 years old and having a period that lasts 11 days, that's not normal. No. no. Yeah. And you know, you don't know what you don't know and throw her on the pill. Sure. Great. Or regular. And it helped. But then there should have been some more stuff right. dug into there. But, you know, we weren't a big health world back then. Right. And no. we're so much more like connected yes. and research. Yes. And yes. I so I feel like if you are not having regular cycles, that's red flag number one to get in there. Um, if a husband's had any trauma or you know, my husband um, was an awful for a long time, worked in Texas heat, rode bulls, some hits happened, mm-hmm. you know, some things like that. Had some, he got stepped on by, I think it was a heifer and like a cattle show, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like so it's like later on in life, you're like, oh, that did happen to me when I was 13. Hmm, yeah. maybe, hmm, yeah. I should, that should do that. <laughs> yeah, so um, I feel like you know, um, expect, I, you know, if you've tried for one month, keep trying. <laughs> but if it's been over six months and you've got some other stuff, I would definitely seek help. Well, that kind of leads to the next question is, were you maybe in denial when you first heard or what were your first thoughts getting that prognosis? Yeah. Uh, yeah, honestly, I am a very positive person. I think the positive outcome, like we're not going to jump the gun. We're not going to be the worst case scenario. And I'm very big on we will cross that bridge when we get there. Um, and I remember telling a girlfriend of mine, well before we ever even tried to have kids, I think we had just gotten married. Um, I remember we were talking about kids and I had said to her, I gosh, isn't it crazy how you can just remember exactly what had happened? Um, and I said to her, yeah, I don't think we'd ever go that far. Like to, we knew another girl who was going down the road Mm -hmm. and you don't know what you don't know. And I'm like, I just don't know if I'd put my body through that. I just don't know if we'd ever get that far. Like, I don't know. That's just a lot. Ooh, I don't think I'd go that far. And I remember my tone in my voice was, more negative, not judging her, but thinking that's just first off a lot of money. Second that was, off, that was another question. Mm-hmm. It's like let's talk about the financial yeah. setback and planning. Oh my and, gosh! And how the financial overwhelming, effects. overwhelming. Um, my husband and I have worked so hard for what we have. Um, we started. <laughs> more money going out the back door in the front door. We couldn't even pay our rent. Like (laughs) eight years ago is completely different story from where we are today. Um, and so I think that that was never even looked at as like an option for us. If something was to happen earlier in our life, because it was like, well, we couldn't even afford the, I could barely afford my birth control pills, let alone to put something on there. But, um, getting that, the, diagnosis, I guess you could say, and getting the, okay, you have less than 2% chance to conceive a child naturally, and here's our odds, and here's what's against you, and here's what you need to do, and then figuring out that financial aspect of it, even somebody who we are able to pay all of our bills, we feel very fortunate, we are living very comfortably in our life, that still takes a turn, you know, that that money wasn't going there, that money was going here, or We've, we're big Dave Ramsey people. We've debt snowballed it out, you know. Um, that was going to go to this fund or invest in this or start this. And it definitely took a toll on us with finances to put a halt on some things that we were going to do partially in our lives. Um, and we didn't want to just rack up debt after debt with it. And so we knew that that was going to be a little bit bigger. But there are things out there. We'll tell people. People don't know this. Okay. There are things out there that help you finance. Um all of this. There are things out there that help you with payment plans, 
our insurance personally does not cover $1 on mine or my husband's. So everything was out of pocket. Everything. Wow. There were days I'm walking up to the counter paying $580, 700 you know, 1300 1150 you know, yeah. surgery, 48 you know, 50 I mean, yeah. just like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And I know that everybody's not able to do that, but there are options out there. Just like you finance a car, just like you finance a pool, just like you finance your house. There are infertility IVF specific lead loans for that that can help you. That's so, good to know. A lot of people don't know that. Yes. So that's a big question I get with people. And so you, there's total things out there to help you. Don't think if you can't just go pay for it, it's not an option. That's not an option. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Yeah. Okay, so Jill, tell me, how do you handle pushback from family or friends or even a spouse while going through this journey? This is one of my fun ones. I'm always like, is this your life? Is this your baby? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Truth. I am honestly, the only pushback that personally we ever got was from like followers. You know, people who I really don't know. Mm -hmm. My family is amazing. Uh, My church family is amazing. My friends are amazing. I mean, and I will say... My people that I hang out with are amazing because I have boundaries. And you probably yeah. have kind of more uh-huh, and uh-huh. teach them. Yeah, absolutely. You have to teach people how to treat you. Right. And I don't want to hang out with anybody who doesn't support me in my life. Right. If you are not Team Jill, then why are we hanging out? Exactly. If I'm not Team you, why am I hanging out with you? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's just that you need to surround yourself with people who support you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's making some hard cuts. And sometimes that's people who are closest to you. And I've been through that in my life. I've had to cut some people out. But, um, and sometimes you can't cut people out because they're very immediate family, but you can have boundaries. Yes. Big, big boundaries. And we do. We have big, big boundaries with some people. Yes. Um, But pushback in general, I remember a lady from church, bless her heart, you know, she's, she was an older lady and a former church that we went to and said, well, don't you just feel like that that's not a baby that God would want you to have? (sighs) Yeah. And, uh, (sighs) and so that showed me she doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. She's there for religion. Yeah. She's there for check, <laughs> check, check the box. And I just said, well, the God I serve creates all babies. Oh, my God. You know? And so, thankfully, that person isn't close to me. And, you know, but I never had pushback for anything. My parents were more, um, you know, concerned. I guess you could say not pushback, but, like, what does this mean for you? Like, are you going to be okay? To yeah. Like, Okay, are you going to go through a lot of surgeries? I mean, because they're my parents. They want to protect me. Absolutely. You know, and so anytime I had a surgery, I had multiple through all this, um, their biggest concern was me. You know, are you okay? You know, how can I help you? How can I, don't let that, don't do that, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, And then um, my husband, supportive as absolutes can be, because this wasn't my decision. This was our decision. And he's very vocal about this with any husband or someone who says like, oh, well, you know, what happens if, you know, my husband isn't supporting me and then that's not y'all's decision at that point in time. Y'all are on two different pages and maybe it's not time for you to go down this road. Um, my husband and I, husband and I, excuse me, walked through this, prayed through this, went through every step of, and knew we were both in this. I could not pursue IVF without a husband who's not ready. How do you do that? I mean, first off, you need him. You need a sperm, you know. Like, <laughs> I need him to show up. <laughs> and, ha- like, this shouldn't just be a one-person-led decision. And it, if anybody out there is struggling with that, you know, my husband doesn't support me. He doesn't want to see the doctor. He doesn't want to do this. My, think we need to spend the money. Yeah. We my best friend advice would be there's more that needs to be prayed for and worked on before 
the next step is um, IVF and baby. That there's or even probably to talk to them yeah, about it more. Absolutely. Because it might be uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to let you know as a spouse that you don't make me feel supported. Exactly. That you don't want to financially take this plunge. Exactly. But. That those are convers. There's more conversations that need to be had. And maybe that is with a third party. And that's okay. You know, your pastors are there to help you. There's great counselors that are there to help you. Because things are hard to talk about. Even for myself, I'm very open. My husband's very open. We're very open. There's things that have been very difficult for us to talk about. And that took us being in a non-distracted scenario, phones away, TV off to say, this is a safe zone. I'm not going to get angry. Um, but I need to tell you how I'm feeling. I mean, my husband is, he literally sings daily. Like, I'm not kidding when I say this. He sings, he does, he plays the guitar, the drums, very musical, but his life is like a Disney song. He just skips and sings. He's so happy. <laughs> and sometimes that's not good. Cause I'm like, can you just be mad? You know? And so I would have to come and how I would voice things to say like, what I'm about to say is how I'm feeling, but I'm not necessarily feeling this towards you. This is what I'm going through. You know, I'd have to just, before just blowing up and saying like, what do you mean that? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and he is a fixer and he likes to fix things. So it's like, let me fix it. Let me take care of it. Let me take that pain. And he's had to learn to say, do you want me to listen or do you want me to help you find a solution? And so he starts a lot of conversations like that. And a lot of times I just want him to listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want you to try to fix it. Right. I just want you to listen. And so it's taken us, that's again, personal growth. Mm-hmm. That's, a, you know, with third party seeking mentorship of how to work through our marriage in that way. But um, I don't know how a couple would go through IVF if you were both not on the same page. Right. There's no way. Because I mean, and it's such a big financial decision for your family that yeah. affects both of you and your family. You know, exactly. And, and. Everybody, we all have these different lifestyles, and we've all seen the shows, Teen Mom and this and that. And a baby doesn't fix things. Right. It doesn't. Yeah. So, a ring doesn't fix a relationship. No, no. A, a house doesn't fix it. Mm-mm. No. And a lot of times we want to, uh, even your, a job won't fix it. Like, we have More to do money. the work. No, it won't. And so I think if we're in this scenario and walking, we're having all these issues, and we're not on the same page, a baby isn't going to make that better. And there's other stuff that need to be, the gaps need to be filled before that next step. And so I would definitely say have a safe zone, conversation zone, and work on speaking to each other in appropriate ways and tones. And I love the way you said a non-distractional mm-hmm. zone. We have to do that. Mm-hmm. When you work from your, my phone, honestly, I don't have dings and beeps on it ever. And I Same. don't wear a smartwatch because yeah. I don't want any notification about my Same. life. Girl. Never. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You never will see me with no iPhone watch on. <laughs> ever. I'll throw it out the window and my phone never rings. And so that agitates my mom because she's called my husband to say, tell your wife to answer her phone. But, yep. <laughs> you know. um, but I like to decide when I'm on and I like to decide when I'm off. And so I, we have to remove that away because we all get distracted, even right. with radio and TV, not even just right. the phone. Yes, you know? absolutely. Well, you're kind of already answering yeah. it, but the next question was, how has this affected your marriage? Absolutely. Um, first off, I could definitely tell you, as hard as this has all been, our marriage is 10 times stronger than it ever was because of this pain. Because my husband has learned to love me when I can't love myself. He has learned to love me when I am this strong personality who can literally no longer stand. And so he's had to love me in that way. I've had to learn to love him 
Um, cause through this, like I mentioned, we had male factor too. So he had some medicines and he had some stuff that took a hard toll on him. And so both of us took a hit at one time. Um, we were on a, two of us were on, or excuse me, both of us were on medicine at the same time. And that was the difficult. Um, so we had to learn to understand a no is a no. And a no doesn't mean I'm mad at you. A no doesn't mean I don't like you. I don't want to, a no just means no you know? Um, so like, I, I, I don't want to go to the crawfish bowl and hang out with people. No. Okay. Not because what do you mean? You don't want to do anything. You never want to, you know, it's a completely different type of no. Um, so we've learned to listen to each other differently. Um, we have definitely learned to talk to each other differently instead of assuming. I think assuming has gone out the door for us. It's now like, like I said, he will say, do you want me to listen and fix it? Or do you want me to just be an ear? Um, instead of just assuming I need him to take care of all the things. Um, so thankfully we have grown so much in that area, but I'll be very honest and vulnerable, um, with this. It took a big toll on us with intimacy because that timedness of sex was so spot on of like, it had to be this day, this day, this day, and this day at this time, right now, be home. That's a lot. It's a lot of pressure on a female and that's 10 times probably more pressure on a male. And so after all that didn't work, then we moved to these cycles of IUI and IVF and they're like, don't touch each other. You know, like, uh uh-uh, don't have sex because if you were to get pregnant in the middle of this cycle, throw it all off. And here we are too, we've already spent thousands on thousands and then they'd have to pull the plug and then now we're going to walk this bridge of what about birth defects and what about this and what about too much hormones there and what did I do and it was a lot. So we didn't, and I will be very honest with you, we probably, there was a one point in us, it was probably about six months we didn't touch each other Mm -hmm. and we had to learn to love each other completely differently and I'm not a physical touch person. That's not my love language. You don't have to ever hold my hand again for me to know that you love me. You, I just need you to be my friend. I need you to get the groceries out the car. Like, do something for me. Yeah. yeah. And his love language is physical touch. Completely. Wow. He wants to be petted and held and loved on. And, you know, he wants to touch his wife's butt. And so he you wants, had to learn how to I, pet and yeah, rub on him. I had to learn to love him very differently. Um, you know, and so then on times when you're trying to love each other and, you know, I've got a hormonal crazy migraine and I'm nauseous and so many of the meds made me throw up and it was like I was pregnant, but wasn't pregnant, you know, and it was a struggle through there. But I will say we learned the word intimacy so much stronger. Like you think intimacy and everybody's like, yeah, sex, sex. it's like, no, there's so, there's such a deeper way to like intimately love your spouse. Um, and I think that again, that goes to that we have a core foundation in our marriage with the, with God. I don't know how somebody could not do that. My husband loves Jesus before he loves me. And since he loves Jesus, he's able to love me like Jesus. And he sees me at my worst and doesn't give up on me. And same for me with him. This baby yeah. is so blessed. He is coming into a wonderful family. Oh, we hope. <laughs> okay, I have two questions yeah. left, and I think they could. I mean, they're all powerful yeah. questions, but I know you're someone all about words, mm-hmm. and I know that you say openly about this, sharing your testimony mm-hmm. and your mm-hmm. journey, that you want to help educate people on the way that they can yeah. change or adjust their words to help people going mm-hmm. through a journey like this. Could you maybe give some insights Absolutely. to the listeners? 
Absolutely. So biggest, probably simple <coughs> thing that we ask people today. Like we see a boyfriend and a girlfriend and we're like, oh, y'all talking about marriage? When are you going to get married? We don't need to ask that question. Like we just <laughs> need to learn to ask new things. So when we see a married couple, we all do this. Our first response is, do you have kids? That's what we do. When you're at a mingle, you met someone at church, you're on a date, you're at the, like I said, barbecue, you're here, graduation party. Oh, y'all have kids? That simple question is such a trigger question because one in eight couples are going through infertility and one in four couples are going through miscarriage. And I mean, you can just look in the, around the room. You go to a small room of 10 people, there's one girl going through it. It's going to happen. And so that simple conversation question starter can be worded completely differently. Um, so instead of saying something like, Hey, do y'all have kids? You know, you say, how long have y'all been married? And they're like, okay, let's talk about marriage. Tell me about Mm y'all, you know? And a lot of times when people would say, Hey Jill, tell me before you know it, I've already opened up and told you that we're on an infertility journey. I'm like, Oh, we're on our second round of IVF and And they didn't ask, Mm -hmm. but they said, tell me about you. And it probably protects them too, because if they ask, do you have Mm -hmm. kids? And then you answer with that. They feel like they put their foot in their mouth when they didn't. Exactly. I met a newer uh, guy at church about a month ago. We were both serving on the same team and obviously he can tell I'm pregnant and so you know he's oh when are you doing da 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 and he looked about 26-ish 8-ish you know so that's a hard thing to do immediately even myself you know you need a bit, do you have kids you know no you know I caught myself and I said oh you know because he said my wife I said oh what does your wife do he said oh you know she does this and she told me about her job and stuff and I said oh that's so awesome I said are y'all from around here so just asking other questions and then he said oh so you're do this summer I said mm-hmm. and he said And my wife and I have been trying for a little while. He opened up without me ever even saying anything because he felt safe in the conversation. So I feel like, again, we just have to love people for where they're at. And just like a twist of our words is so, so powerful. So here I am today. If you see me, I'm obviously very pregnant. Um, We've already had You look amazing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thanks. But we've already had people ask us, and I guess it's they live under a rock, you know, when's number two? I'm like, are you serious? I haven't even gotten to hold on to this one yet. You know, and you're like, (laughs) and then those are trigger things too of like, my husband and I have talked about, when are we going to start again? Like, what does that look like? Should we wait a year? Should we wait two? Should we enjoy him for... Um, So my sister, for example, her first baby, she's... A preteen now, beautiful as can be, but she had um, a sickness called hyperemesis gravidarium. It was the same thing Princess Kate had, where you're like so sick, you can't even um, function. She was hospitalized for like 12 weeks, she had a permanent IV pump, it was insane. So pregnancy was traumatizing for her, like legit traumatizing. She couldn't even swallow her own saliva, sunken in eyes, she looked like she was on her deathbed. And so they have a big gap between their kiddos, um, seven and a half years, because for a long time, she was like, uh-uh, we ain't having right. a kid. That was traumatizing. And so people, it was a, almost like a judging thing. You're only going to have one? Why? What? Well, she needs a brother or sister. What? And they were at peace and content for that. And so Lord changed their mind years down the road. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, she didn't have it again with her second pregnancy. But for her, that was a trigger question. She's like, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Like, It was traumatizing for me, and I can barely even talk about it because I couldn't even open my eyes for months. I know a girl who had that. And that wasn't beautiful, and that was so hard, and it's hard for me to say pregnancy wasn't beautiful, you know, because I had this beautiful baby, but 
it almost killed me. Like, no. And it was a lot on her marriage, a lot on her husband, you know? So it's like, we just don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And you know, Kate's talked about this before her and, um, Coop only want to have one mm -hmm. and they're very open about that, but some people maybe aren't as open about it. Mm -hmm. And so like she says, single, I mean, only children are, aren't broken just no. because they don't have a sibling doesn't mean you aren't. And maybe that's them. what you've always dreamed of. Just mom, dad, and kid. And you want to give them the all and your all attention and what? Maybe yeah. that's the dream you've yeah, wanted. Absolutely. I think that's I think, wonderful. I think it's crazy that we judge the fact that somebody wants one or somebody wants ten. Mm -hmm. Why why? Right. Because it's just different than us. Like Or it's not as normal or is normal too? Like what? it's normal for what is normal? And I say that all the time when people are like, Well, you know, the normal way, the normal pregnancy, or people will say like, Well, I want to get healthy the normal way. Yeah. What someone tell me what normal is. I know is. my therapist said I, you throw that normal word, word out the window. Ain't nobody. What's normal. a normal marriage? <laughs> I haven't figured that out. A What's a normal household? Yeah. What's we don't. You find your harmony. Right. There's really not even balance, it's harmony, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so my friend Amy, I asked her this when you're you receive the bad news. People know mm -hmm. the bad news, especially like you. You're mm -hmm. sharing online. Um, so that way, maybe they're not putting yeah. their foot in their mouth. What can someone say? Yeah. Is I, there anything? I feel like we all in our own world and culture, we do this with, you know, deaths, with sickness. We are quick to just say, I'm praying for you. And I would challenge somebody. I mean, I have to challenge myself. If I'm saying I'm praying for them, then I need to check Actually myself good. and I need to do it. And that doesn't mean I need to get down on my knees and do a fast and do the Holy <laughs> Revival over right, here. Right. But I need to legit step away in a moment and I need to lift them up in the Lord. Yeah, mm -hmm. I just need to say, Lord, um, I just met her. I don't know her. I, you know her story. Mm -hmm. I don't, but I just ask that you guard her. And mm -hmm. um, you know what she needs and I don't. Um, and you, it can be as simple as that. We don't have to say something perfect. Um, so that'd be a big one. If you are saying you're praying for somebody, don't just say I'm praying for you. Pray for them. Right. And it doesn't have to be every day, all the time. Uh -uh. Or even just say, yeah. I just lifted you up in I a just prayer. You, that's it. Super simple. Um, and then I keep going back to loving people for where they're at and allowing somebody to live in that season with you not trying to fix it. And you might feel called on your heart to buy her a onesie that says miracle baby. You might feel called on your heart to buy the devotional about infertility or something. Um, and you might feel called to do that and that's okay. I had a lot of beautiful gifts through everything, but know that her reaction or, or response sh shouldn't be a certain production. You know, right. if she just responds and just says, thank you, mm -hmm. you know, but she goes in her own room and holds on to that blanket or onesie or book that's her own private mm -hmm. emotion um don't try to get an emotion out of it right it's not for the thank you it's not for it. that um so that's always a big one just loving people for where they're at that is such a huge one i had so many sweet friends just to text me and say hey i just dropped something off on your doorstep and it would be like a you know, devotional or a book or a audio something, or some people would send me a YouTube song. You know, hey, I just saw, heard this song and I thought about you today. That, oh, I love sweet. that. I love that. And there are many times I didn't listen to it that moment. Right. I would be 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'd go back and click that. Or a pastor of mine would be like, hey, I'm just sending you this recording. I don't know why I was listening to it today. It popped up on my thing and the Lord just told me to send it to you. That is appreciative. That is so sweet. And again, I didn't need to respond. I didn't need a production. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't tell you how many times I'd watch it a month later, and it was exactly what I needed when I needed it. Right, when you actually mm -hmm. So if the Lord is, like, nudging you to do something for somebody, I say do it. Mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong on that, how to love 
if you want to show love, love, absolutely. Um, but no, you don't have to get the response. You don't have to have the mega thank you. You don't have um, to cry. You don't, no, you don't have to sit there and hold them for 12 hours. And, make, and there are most times I didn't want to be around people. I'm and sure. I think that that was one of the best ways people could love me. Like, Just give me my space. Give me my space, yeah. you know. And if I say, hey, can I talk to you? I remember my best friend, Rach, um, it was one Sunday morning. I was supposed to be there to serve for church. And I had a really bad morning. I think it was after our first loss, yeah. And I had just feeling all the lows and the heaviness. And I was just crying. I couldn't even put makeup on. I was just like, I'm crying it off in the bathroom. And I called her and I said, and I'd been quiet for a while just about this. And I said, can I tell you something? And she said, yeah. And I literally unloaded on her of the way that I felt in life. I hate my body and this and I'm mad and I'm angry and she's pregnant and I can't. and done. I just unloaded and she just listened and she, she just, she didn't try to fix it. She didn't try to say, Oh, but God, Oh, the babe, it's going to come. Don't you? Da, 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 da. She would say things like you're right. That effing sucks. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. That Yes. Mm-hmm. That I hate that. I hate that. And she allowed me to feel that in that moment because I needed that friend in that moment. But then, as a good person as she is, you know, the conversation would spin to a positive. And, you know, we were laughing by the end of it all. But for her to say, you were allowed to cry today. You were allowed to not go. You were allowed to say no. And it's like sometimes you need that validation from somebody to say, you don't have to show up for them. Yep. You don't. So don't worry about it. Yeah. And so being that good of a friend is, is what we can do for people. Well, the last question I have is, I know that you're all about health and wellness and, you know, still staying active and fit. And I see this with a lot of my own clients who get in great shape before Mm -hmm. pregnancy, maybe figure out they have some infertility issues, go through the journey. And then, you know, it's not an area that I know. So are you more apprehensive to continue being active because you struggled with an infertility journey? Are there more fears than like a normal, yeah. whatever normal is yeah. pregnancy? Honestly, I think that there's no better drive than now to be well. I mean, I'm not, people say, oh, you're eating for two. Like, no, you're not. But you're, I'm eating, like I'm fueling him. What I put into my body fuels my baby. So for me, I, it almost hones me in even in stronger and more. I, I don't want to miss my prenatals. I don't want to miss my water intake. I want him to be hydrated. Like, why would I not? Mm-hmm. I don't want to eat crap every day. I don't want to just lay down and feel sorry for myself. He needs movement. He needs mobility. Like, all of these things. And so, I work with a lot of women who do that too. Like, you're on this journey. You're feeling well. You're feeling good. Oh my gosh, you see victories. You get pregnant, everything stops and goes out the door. And we treat pregnancy like it's a handicap or we treat pregnancy in this very fragile state. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying a miracle baby here, so I'm not about to go get on a four-wheeler or anything like that. Like, gosh, no. We do need to be very cautious with things. But we get to this point and we get pregnant, we're like, well, what was I doing when I got pregnant? Like my blood was flowing, my body was healthy, my mind was good, I was speaking here. And then I just stopped those things. And it's like, you know, we're about to enter into this season of hormones and and hardness and changes. And we've got to have some, I hate the word normal, normalcy Mm -hmm. of where we were at in the season before, because we are in a new season and we are crossing a new bridge and we're learning a new body. But 
all of these healthy habits that led us up to this point don't just need to be thrown out the window. And I learned that firsthand through that first step in our first loss, I did throw a lot of things out and I was very much like, I'm, I'm laying down and I'm going to do this and I can't, and I know my, but that harmed me more than not because it would took a toll on my mindset. And when we feel well, we function well. So when we function well and we feel well, it's because we're treating our body well. And so I mean, everybody has a different definition of wellness in their lifestyle, what that looks like for them. For some people, you know, it's pumping iron like crazy. For some people, it's a three-mile walk. For some people, it's doing a 20-minute yoga thing or whatever that might be. For some people, it's mindset. And so, yeah, you've got to find what is the best well-being for you. Um, For me, I'm not well if I binge-watch a season of something and eat chips on the couch. I'm not. I, that's not my wellness. I agree with that. <laughs> it's not. That hurts me more than not. I end up having a stomach ache, a headache, and then I'm just like Regret. dizzy and agitated <laughs> because time. I'm watching this. You know, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Sometimes we need a show and a pizza. Don't yeah. get me wrong. <laughs> but I know that my day to day well being um, is when I live well, and I have never had more reason to live well than now. I mean, you're carrying life. Why would I want to put big red into it? I don't right. know. <laughs> That's just me. Um, you know, and so we just, uh, and teaches, and sometimes, guess what, girl? I'm going to eat the brownie. Like, we're yes. going to do it. Like, yes. I'm going to do it. I'm very big about food freedom. Um, but I just know I don't want my body to function off that as its normal right. basis. Right. Yeah. As a treat rather yes. than a Exactly. Supply. And that, I love that you said that word. I use that big in my business, too. I hate the word cheat. Ugh. Yeah, it, like, drives me nuts. I'm like, <laughs> cheating is cheating on the test. Cheating on your spouse. Like, that's a negative. When you eat a brownie, girl, that ain't negative. No. That's a treat. Mm-hmm. Like, enjoy that. But if we live off brownies every day, right. are we going to get where we're going to get? No. Um, so... For me, it's about being well, and I've never had more of a why to be well. You know, I don't know why somebody would want to be well for their kids. I so. agree with that. Well, Jill, I have enjoyed this <laughs> episode way more than I ever could have thought. I've learned from it. I hope that the listeners, you know, that have n- not, you know, gone through the infertility journey have learned, you know, how to love people better through it. And I hope that, you know, that maybe this has been therapeutic and caused some good, healthy tears and Absolutely. steps in the right direction for people who are on that journey. So tell people, tell the listeners where they can yeah. find you, your social media, Holler. how they can, you know, continue to keep up with you. Yeah. So Instagram, of course, and Facebook. Um, I don't have any different handles, just my name. So it's Jill H. Renfro, R-E-N-F-R-O. Um, I'm very open on social media about my infertility journey, more open on Instagram than Facebook, just because that's the platform of where it's at. Um, have multiple highlights saved, some book recommendations, some devotional things, um, how I journal and pray, how I walk and pray. Um, I even have highlights saved of our, our story going through the shots and going through the medicine and the protocol and traveling to Houston. So very open about that. Um, and, was a National Infertility Awareness Week was just in April. So I was very open um, through all of that and posting. So I talk about it a lot because it has become a huge passion in my life. I feel like the Lord has taken a mess and has turned it into a message. And I will continue to use my voice um, as long as he gets glory. You are amazing. And gosh, I just like keep tearing up, but thank y'all for tuning in. Um, please screenshot and, you know, share this to your Instagram story, tag us. We'd love to hear the feedback. Um, honestly, you know, 
when Kate and I first started the Unbothered Blondes podcast, you know, the whole mantra doesn't really necessarily fit the Mm -hmm. IVF miscarriage, you know, struggle journey there. And that's not something that Kate nor I have walked through. Um, but it doesn't mean that we wouldn't. And so we, this came about from all of you requesting it. So I'm very grateful for Jill opening up and sharing her journey. Women, we have to row in the boat together. I mean, like as women, with unity, we can do big, big, big things. And you can be just as different as this person, as this person, as this person. But if we're united and we lock arms, we can move mountains. And so just love each other for where we're at mm-hmm. and watch us move. And so many more women than not mm-hmm. have some form of a road to motherhood mm-hmm. that looks different than what they expected. Oh, or once they become a mom, you look back and you think, why was that my journey? And it's all mm-hmm. for a bigger purpose. He's going to take your mess and turn it into a mess. He is. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank Thank y'all so much for tuning in. Feel free to give us a review, some feedback, and thank you again, Jill, for being here. I'm honored. Bye, y'all.